And welcome everyone to our first session where we're going to start with a simple question. What is folklore? Now, before you start, make sure that you've watched a fun little video called Who Are the Folk? It was put together by the Craft and Folk Art Museum in Southern California. As the video illustrates, we all kind of know what folklore is, but we also kind of don't. Uh, folklore doesn't mean what you think it means, as Lynn McNeil says in a YouTube video that you should watch kind of right after watching this one. So anyway, what is folklore? Who are the folk? What is lore? Let's find out. So one of the problems is, is that this English word folklore comes with a lot of baggage that we kind of have to first unpack and just throw away before we can build up a good working definition of what folklore is so that we can start to appreciate how ordinary people use folklore to make sense of their lives. Now to start with, the history of this word folklore is, is kind of interesting. It's, it was coined on August 12th, 1846 by a British scholar named William Toms, who for some weird reason used the pseudonym Ambrose Merton and wrote, to, wrote a letter to an academic journal called the Athenaeum in which he made the following bold proposition. Your pages, he said, have so often given evidence of the interest which you take in what we in England designate as popular antiquities or popular literature, though by the by, it's more a lore than a literature and would be most aptly described by a good Saxon compound, folklore, the lore of the people. The rest of his letter went on to talk about why it's so important to study this stuff. But in just this little paragraph, William Toms coined a word that we still use today, that the whole world uses, in fact, to describe all the informal person-to-person -person traditions that people share with each other, everything from tales, myths, and legends, proverbs, riddles, rhymes, and so on. This stuff that we call folklore goes by different names in different languages, right? In uh, French, it's tradition populaire. It's Volkskunde in German. In Mandarin, it's Minzu. While in Japanese, it's Minzo Kugaku. And in Korean, it's Minsok Munhak. In Hindi and Marathi, it's Lok Sahitya. In Punjabi, it's Lok Dhara. But no matter what word you use, what you want to call it, no matter which community you belong to, you're going to find out that folklore is really cool once you figure out what it really is. So what is folklore really? Now, before taking this class, you might have thought that folklore meant like old-fashioned stories or fairy tales or myths or legends about, I don't know, King Arthur or leprechauns or trolls or whatever. Maybe you thought about fox tales if you're thinking of Chinese or Japanese folklore. Or if you're in India, maybe you think about talking monkeys and jackals in the jungle, that kind of thing. You might think of dressing up in old-fashioned costumes and maybe doing traditional square dances. Or maybe think of simple villagers who are making traditional pottery. Well, the thing is that all of these things are folklore, but as we're going to find out, folklore is a whole lot more. For example, graffiti is folklore, breakdancing is folklore, scratch DJing is folklore, dapping is folklore, typing LOL or WTF is folklore, selfies are folklore, and yes, memes are folklore. But somehow we don't like to call these things folklore. We instead use the words like subculture or youth culture, internet culture, underground culture, or memes. Now, why is that? The problem is, is that 
we usually think of folklore as being old-fashioned or quaint or rustic or backwards or dying out or false. It's this negative view that sets folklore in opposition to modernity, progress, science, the future, to truth. We think of folklore as being somehow inherently unscientific and invalid. Think about phrases like, oh, what you're saying, that's just folklore, or that's an old wives' tale, or worst of all, as far as folklore is concerned, that's just a myth, meaning that's an idea that's bogus or untrue. The thing is, is that folklorists don't study folklore to find out if it's true or false, if it's right or wrong, or if it's backwards. Instead, what we're trying to do is to understand and then to explain to others what makes any item of folklore valid and meaningful to the people who actively use and sort of cherish that item. Even if it's not true or scientific, what we have to keep in mind is that we all have folklore and that we all share folklore no matter who we are no matter how educated we are, or how rich or how poor, no matter how elite we might be or how low, no matter where we live, what we do for work, what color we are, what gender, what sexual orientation, everybody has folklore. Everybody belongs to folk communities of one kind or another. And that's maybe the hardest thing that I'm kind of asking you to unlearn in this course, to kind of put away any elitist baggage that that you might have gotten as educated young people or rich or urban or modern people. Uh, the idea is that we all participate in folk cultures. So with these misconceptions out of the way, let's talk about what maybe folklore really is. Maybe one nice quick way to go about it is to just start listing off every genre of folklore so that we can get some sense of what we're talking about. Here's a list that was made by my advisor and teacher at Berkeley, Alan Dundee's, way back in 1965. Folklore, he said, includes myths, legends, folktales, jokes, proverbs, riddles, chants, and charms, blessings, curses, oaths, insults, retorts, taunts, teases, toasts, tongue twisters, and greeting and leave-taking formulas like see you later, alligator. It includes folk costume, folk dance, folk drama, and mime, Folk art, folk belief or superstition, folk medicine, folk instrumental music like fiddle tunes, folk songs like lullabies and ballads, folk speech like slang, folk similes like blind as a bat, folk metaphors like to paint the town red, and names like nicknames and place names. Folk poetry ranges from oral epics to autograph book verse, epitaphs, latrinalia, which is writings on the walls of public bathrooms, limericks, ball-bouncing rhymes, jump-rope rhymes, finger-and-toe rhymes, dandling rhymes that you're used to bounce children on the knee, counting out rhymes to determine who'll be it in games, and nursery rhymes. The list of folklore forms also contains games, gestures, symbols, prayers like graces, practical jokes, folk etymologies, food recipes, quilt and embroidery designs, house barn and fence types, street vendors' cries, and even the traditional conventional sounds to use, used to summon animals or give them commands, like sikkim. There are such minor forms as mnemonic devices, like the name Roy G. Biv to remember the colors of the spectrum in order, envelope sealers like SWAK sealed with a kiss, and the traditional comments made after body emissions like after burps and sneezes. Bless you. There are such major forms as festivals and special day or holiday customs like on Christmas or Halloween or on birthdays. Wow, 
Now, that's quite a list, right? And probably way, way more things are folklore than what you thought before starting this video. But anyway, the problem with listing folklore genres like this that it's, is that it's infinite. There are other genres that Dundee's didn't list in his long list, and new ones are all, all created, being created every single day, especially on that thing called the internet, which has perhaps become the greatest fountainhead for folklore production that humanity has ever seen. Think about what we call netspeak, like LOL or WTF, or lolcats, or shoop de whoop, or crying Michael Jordan, or mashups of Drake's weird hotline bling dance, or that blue dress, or maybe it's a gold dress. Uh, think about the ice bucket challenge, or the Harlem shake. The list can go on and on, right? Um, it, it, even if it's more fashionable to call these things memes nowadays, it's all still folklore as far as folklorists are concerned. And more and more stuff is being invented every single day, so there's absolutely no way to have a complete list. Instead, what I'd like to do is to think about folklore not as categories of things, but as a process. process. Cultural forms or practices are folklore based not on what they are, but on how they're shared by people. So here's a working definition that we can build off of. Folklore is traditional, informal, and non-commercial culture. It's traditional culture in the sense that it's shared person to person over and over again, repeatedly. This is, in fact, how the noted folklorist Archer Taylor described it all the way back in 1946. Folklore, he said, is material that's handed on by tradition, either by word of mouth or by custom and practice. By tradition, we don't always mean just things that are old. Of course, folk traditions can be really, really old, like hundreds of years old or thousands of years old even, but they could also be brand spanking new, only like weeks old or months old or like hours old. All that matters is that people are sharing them with each other and they're sharing them over and over again, more than once. The other thing about folklore is that it's informal meaning that it travels from person to person by word of mouth, uh, orally, right? or by observation. People observe each other and imitate what they see other people doing. Formal cultures, in contrast, usually they're called elite cultures or classical or literary culture. They have to be learned through schools or classes or other kinds of specialized training. The way that I like to think about this is that folklore travels horizontally, while classical or elite cultures go vertically. Folklore is all that stuff that you don't learn through books or classes or schools or churches or temples and that kind of thing. Take, for example, drinking beer. Some people do it, some people don't. There's all kinds of rules and formal regulations about who's allowed to drink beer, where you're allowed to drink it, if it's a moral thing to do and all of that stuff. All of that gets sent to you by books, schools, priests, governments, that kind of thing. Uh, but something else happens when friends get together and drink beer. They play drinking games. They do it on certain occasions, like if the World Cup is on. They do it with particular styles or flares, right? That's all folklore. Uh, like here's one particular example. There's a tradition called shotgunning a beer. It's usually actually done among teenagers who aren't supposed to be drinking anyway. But now how do you learn how to shotgun a beer? As far as I know, you can't go to like beer shotgunning school. Right? or read books that, that teach you how to shotgun beers. Maybe nowadays you could find like a YouTube video that shows you how to do it. 
But I imagine that very few people actually do it that way. How do you do it? Instead, you, you probably see someone doing it at a party. You watch one of your friends do it, and then you follow suit, right? And then if you like to do it, you decided to shotgun beers again at another party. Other people might see you learn how to do it from you, and then the tradition gets passed on. This is a process of imitation that scholars call mimesis. That's where the word meme kind of comes from. So this is what I mean by horizontal transmission. As Lynn McNeil points out, it works exactly kind of like the telephone game, and we'll talk more about this uh, in, our, in our Zoom sessions. Uh, maybe shotgunning beer might not be your thing, but you can probably think of other informal and traditional uh, practices that you've learned as a young person in the same way by imitating others. Slang, games, rhymes, crafts, dancing in the clubs, right? all kinds of other things like that. Now, the other key ingredient in folklore that McNeil doesn't really talk about in our readings is, is that most of the time, folklore is a form of what's called non-commercial culture. Folklore spreads from person to person naturally or virally, you could say, and it does so usually without a kind of commercial foundation to it. In other words, you don't have to pay for folklore usually. Or if you do, it's usually not that much. It's not exploitative in that way. The kind of culture that does aim to make a profit off of cultural goods is what we call pop culture or mass culture. Uh, your friends won't charge you for telling you a joke, but Chris Rock or Amy Schumer or Russell Peters, they'll charge you for their jokes. What's the difference between them? It's not the jokes themselves. It's how they're being presented. Your friend is telling you a joke as folk tradition, you're, the comedians are selling it to you as pop culture. Now, I do have to say that the lines between pop culture and folklore can get blurry. Companies like Facebook or Twitter are kind of silently profiting off of ordinary people, using them to spread folk culture. On the flip side, no folk performer is going to like turn down money, right? They're going to be like, don't pay me money for my song. So maybe the picture is kind of complicated, but at least we can start with the basic distinction. Folklore is mostly free. Pop culture mostly costs money. All right, so now that we've got a sense of what folklore is, let's take a little break, and then we'll come back and talk about the folklore process, process, which is how folk culture is transmitted horizontally from person to person in a viral or 